Hi everybody, I'm Bethan. I'm Mark, and welcome to Seeing Red. Thank you for joining us once again, and thank you also to our newest Patreon supporter, Cara. And welcome back to Alex, who has rejoined our Patreon family. If, like Cara and Alex, you would like to support the show, then you can sign up on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Uh, Just Google Patreon, Seeing Red, and you'll find us. And everyone who signs up receives a little bit of welcome merchandise in the post, as well as that lovely feeling of knowing that you're helping to produce the show. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, everybody. This week's case involves a real-life belle du jour. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that particular phrase, I will explain and set a little bit of context before we begin today's story. If you are a fan of French literature, then you may be familiar with the 1928 novel Belle de Jour by the French writer Joseph Kessel, which coined the phrase. Or if you're a movie buff, you may have heard of the 1967 film, which was based on the novel and starred screen siren Catherine Deneuve. I'm going to be honest, if it's not action, I don't watch it. Well, you might you might know this, because if you're not very cultured like me and you, then you will probably be more familiar with the recent ITV2 drama Secret Diary of a Cool Girl, starring oh, Billy, Billy Piper's Piper. Belle, pa- Belle Baxter, yeah. Joe, I've read The Secret Diary of a Cool Girl, I've read that book. Was it good? It was shit. Oh. <laughs> but it was what you expect, it's like trashy, yeah, isn't trashy, it? It's yeah, trashy literature. Yeah. So the novel, the film and the TV show, the trashy TV show all feature an ordinary woman leading a secret double life as a high-class escort. And this is exactly what we're going to be looking at in today's case. The world inhabited by the so-called Belle de Jours is often considered to be a glamorous world where money and power go hand in hand. But it is also a dangerous world dominated by drug-taking and violence, and sometimes that violence is in the extreme, as we will learn today. This week we are taking a look at Christina Abbotts, a real-life Belle de Jour whose life came to an abrupt end in 2017 after a drug-fuelled night with a sadistic client. As ever, we'll start at the beginning. Born in the West Midlands town of Stourbridge in the late 1980s, Christina grew up in a loving family and was privately educated. Following her A-level, she studied at Oxford Brookes University and also at the Royal Agricultural University in Sirencester, which I think Prince William studied at for a time. Mm. It's quite a posh place to study at, I think. Um, Following that, she took up a career, I think, as an estate agent. But from what I've read, it it isn't overly clear whether she just wanted to be an estate agent or whether she actually um, took up a job in that. But what we do know is that at some point in her 20s, she moved to the bright lights of London and began a career in IT there. Christina enjoyed the change of pace that came with living in London. She began to mix with a wealthy set and enjoyed days out at the Polo, Royal Ascot and she was also a regular theatre goer. She had a taste for the finer things in life but unfortunately for her she didn't have the salary to match. I know how that feels. Mm, That is totally you. Yeah it is me isn't it? It's literally you just wanting... That fancy lifestyle. The champagne lifestyle on a lemonade budget. Oh, bless you. (laughs) So in 2015, perhaps in an attempt to keep up with her wealthy friends, Christina began to live a secret double life. IT professional by day, high class escort by night. Rather than pound the pavement at the back of King's Cross Station, Christina advertised her services under the pseudonym Tilly Pexton on adultwork.com. 
So if you're not familiar with that website... Um, surprisingly, I'm not. Surprisingly, you're not. <laughs> we, I think we've mentioned it once before in a okay. Patreon episode mm-hmm. um, where I covered the case of Carol Woff. She was another oh, yeah. high-class escort. She was advertising herself on adult work. You do like a high-class escort, um, I, don't yeah, you? Yeah, obviously it's a bit more glamorous, isn't it, than <laughs> just your kind of normal yeah. prostitute murder. So. Um, so, yeah, basically adult work is a website where escorts and cam girls and guys advertise their services. So they each have a profile. Uh, they kind of talk about the services that they offer, how much they charge, and I had a little look at it, actually, because last time I didn't look at it when we covered Carol mm. Woff. Um, so I went on, had a look for research purposes, mm-hmm. of course. And it's like, it's a minefield, really. There's literally probably thousands of escorts advertising wow. their services on there. It must be quite interesting to see it quite normalised as well. These people will be discussing something as a business transaction, which oh, it yeah, is. Yeah, of course. When... Like, at first you talk about it and you kind of think, like, you kind of giggle like a little, like, oh, it's really naughty. But actually, they're they're doing a job. Why not? And why not advertise in a quite secure manner and put yourself against other people in the same sort of industry? Yeah. Seems a lot safer than standing on a street corner. I I completely agree. And I I also think for the client, it probably makes it feel less seedy Mm -hmm. if you're not having to go curb crawling and looking at girls you know, sort of on the street, you can just kind of go on onto your laptop, onto your iPad or whatever on your phone and just have yeah. a look at what's what's available. So, um, so yeah, it's a really interesting website, mm. though. There are, like I say, thousands of girls and guys on there and they do things like Escort of the Day, which I was <laughs> like, uh, okay. Oh, that's what you're dreaming of now. Yeah. <laughs> so on her profile, which had been viewed more than 48,000 times wow. at the time of her death, Christina described herself as a well-spoken city girl with the face of an angel and she charged up to three and a half grand for an overnighter. Wow. I mean, uh, that is a money maker, isn't it? Totally, Jeez. yeah. I mean, that's amazing money. Fair play to her. And like... To be able to charge that, you know that she was actually getting that as well. So yeah, like, yeah, and she day. did, she did earn it, yeah. Mm. Um, but she was definitely at that kind of top end of the mm-hmm. high class sort of escorting. Uh, definitely not kind of on a street corner, as you mm. said. A stunning blonde with an enviable figure, Christina did well in her new profession and began to build up a regular client base. So to nearly everyone around her, she was managing to hold it together. And I really think that can't have been easy because, you know, she's living a secret double life, probably putting in 40, 50, 60 hours a week at work in London in what would have probably Mm. been quite a demanding job. And then in any spare time, so evenings and weekends, she's seeing clients. Yeah, no wonder she needed something like Coke to kind of help take the edge off of it. It was probably like a pick-me-up for her and, and maybe it was a way of helping her to block out some of the feelings mm. that she was experiencing from having to do what she did. I don't know whether it, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you'd necessarily feel that bad. You're making a lot of Maybe money not, out of something yeah. that she perhaps quite enjoyed. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm kind of not thinking of this as, like, almost like a victim sort of mentality. I'm like, oh, fair play to her. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I wonder what I think listeners it, think. And I think it's weird, isn't it? Because I think when we see a prostitute on a street corner or we hear about a prostitute on a street corner, we look at them very differently as to how we're going to be looking at Christina. Mm, yeah. Because she's at that kind of high class end of it, meeting people in five star hotels in mm. central London, going to nice restaurants. But ultimately it is the same situation. It is the same, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like almost an abuse of power, but on mm. whose side? I don't know. On hers or the client's. 
Christina also travelled a lot to countries like Brazil and Mexico, so I'm not sure if she was actually seeing clients abroad as well, but that may have been the mm. case. So, so yeah, she was very busy, a very active social life, busy job during the day, and then working as a high-class escort at night while struggling really with an addiction to cocaine, and she was managing to kind of keep up this pretense that wow. she had it all together. One friend, however, a fellow escort who obviously did know Christina's secret, did have concerns about her well-being. She said Christina drank a lot and took cocaine most days. I think she was addicted. I also thought she was quite reckless towards her work. I don't think she carried out many checks on her clients. And I was going to say at this Mm. point, it would be that recklessness that would prove to be her downfall. But I don't think that's fair on reflection. Yeah, because... She still didn't necessarily deserve what's going to happen. No, not well, she totally didn't deserve it. But I think in the context of the profession that she was in, I don't think she was particularly reckless. I think... Oh, okay. You know, obviously, what I suppose what I'm saying is it's a high-risk industry and she chose to be in that industry. But it's not, you know, what what checks can you do? You can't do a CRB check on prospective (laughs) clients. You can't get them to fill out a questionnaire to check whether they're a psychopath or not. Maybe I'm being naive, I don't know. But I think maybe it is perhaps naivety because this is someone else in the industry and for that person that's to true. say, they would have some sort of insight into it. So, so when, when she's saying, I don't think she carried out many checks on a client, she obviously knows that there are certain things you can do. Something you can yeah. do, maybe, yeah. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because you, you are putting yourself in a very vulnerable position, whether you're doing this in a professional manner, whether you're doing this on the odd occasion if you're on a street corner, the whole time you're... You are very vulnerable. Mm. So it's interesting that there, that as the woman has said that there is some other things that she could have been doing. And we mention it quite often, but you know, even people that aren't using websites for escorting purposes, but are just using them to meet people for like hookups or yeah. um, to meet a prospective partner, that carries a massive element mm-hmm. of risk anyway. So we've we've covered loads of cases yeah. or talked briefly about other cases where people have you know met a very sticky end as a result mm-hmm. of meeting someone on grinder or match.com don't use the phrase sticky end mark that's disgusting it's great yeah, it's pretty gross anyway so um christina had as i said built up a steady stream of clients by 2017 and it was one such client a 48 year old banker called saeed nasim that would bring christina's life to a premature end when on the 25th of may he bludgeoned her to death with a pestle which is a new murder weapon for us oh you say it different to me i say pestle no i say pestle Pestle and mortar. You say the T. Yeah. I just say pestle and mortar. Pestle and mortar. Let us know, listeners, what you yeah, say. Yeah, who's right, who's wrong? I'm right, obvs. Well, no, I'm right, so. Zaid had met Christina for the first time around six weeks before her death after he came across her profile on adult work. The pair agreed a price, £3,500, and met at a hotel, where Zaid claims Christina tied a belt around his neck and made him crawl around the room as if he was on a lead before ordering him to drink wine from a bowl on the floor. Something Bethan's done, <laughs> I'm sure. I wouldn't drink wine out of a bowl. No. Or, from the bowl. <laughs> all the while, she was apparently laughing at him and mocking his lack of sexual experience. And I suppose whatever floats your boat. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are lacking in experience of that sort of sexual side yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and Saeed was quite a high-powered city guy, actually, used to telling people what to do. And I think that's quite common, isn't mm. it? Those types of people quite often like to be dominated outside yeah, of work um, in a sexual way. They like to be humiliated. So um, I find that quite interesting. Mm. 
Anyway, we digress. So um, Zaid wanted their second meeting to be a bit more civilised. Maybe he'd had enough of being humiliated this time. Um, so they met for lunch at the exclusive Coq d'Argent restaurant in the city of London before staying at the nearby five-star hotel, The Ned. Once again, Christina was paid £3,500. And I did have a look at the Coq d'Argent restaurant. It's one of Sir Terence Conrad's restaurants. Mm. Very nice. Looked at the menu, very posh. You'll be going there next time then. If I can afford it, mm-hmm. yeah. The pair's arrangement continued when they met for a final time on the 24th of May. They were captured on CCTV in a much less glamorous location this time. It was at Asda in Crawley in West Sussex, (laughs) where Christina was flat sharing for a friend who had gone travelling. They bought two bottles of Verve Clicquot champagne and you can see Zaid kissing Christina on the head whilst they queue to pay. And I think... To everyone around them, mm. they would have just looked like a normal couple, that's, very much in love. Yeah, that's quite a um, intimate sort of thing, isn't it, really? For this to be only the third occasion yeah. for them to have met, and it's still very much a business transaction. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder, actually, I wonder if Saeed um, wanted that commercial arrangement that they had to become more normal, more loving, maybe. more permanent, maybe. And perhaps that's why, just hours later, Christina would be dead bludgeoned 13 times in the back of the head did Saeed suggest they enter into a more normal arrangement and she rebuffed him yeah maybe he said I don't want to pay you this is yeah. like we've we've fallen for each other or something yeah maybe. he might have misinterpreted the mm-hmm. signals you know he's paying her so she's going to be telling him what he wants to hear I yeah, guess she'll behave however she's paid to behave maybe he said I love you and mm. she's kind of said no whoa this isn't yeah what we agreed or she goes along with it Yeah. And then he gets completely mixed up. Mm, Interesting. So I doubt we'll ever know, to be honest, because Mm. as we will see, very little is known about what happened next. What we do know is that the pair arrived at Christina's friend's flat later that evening. Christina made a call and ordered some cocaine. And just after midnight, so the 25th of May now, she texted her dad simply saying, love you. Sometime later, Zaid repeatedly hit her over the head with the pestle or pestle. Um, I'm guessing they'd probably been using that to grind up the coke. Oh, that's interesting. I assume that they just, were making dinner. I'm so innocent. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I just thought maybe that's what that's people do. That's a good idea, though, because you could grind it really well with that. Yeah, because don't they like it really fine? And that yeah. would make it really fine, that's a good I guess. idea. And then you've got it in a bowl. Yeah. I don't know. But then would she, so what, she was definitely doing coke with him? Yeah, yeah. And she had, you know, she had a cocaine problem. Mm. Um, That fellow friend escort said that she was using Mm -hmm. it most days. So once Saeed had murdered Christina, he texted his long-term partner and the mother of his two children to say, I'm sorry. His partner responded by asking, what have you done? To which he replied, it's too late. I'm sorry. Life isn't going to work out for me. No one heard from Christina after midday on the 25th of May. And this was a special day for Christina because it was her 29th birthday. Mm. How tragic is that? That's really sad. She was known to constantly use her phone to stay in touch with friends and family. So when she stopped responding to their happy birthday messages, concern started to grow. 
She had arranged a birthday party in South Kensington for that evening and had arranged to meet her close friend Roshan Parag at 5pm at the Park Plaza County Hall Hotel in London where she was planning to stay the night but obviously she never arrived for that meeting. Mm. In the months prior to her death Christina had been hassled online and in person by a female stalker. She would frequently write about this on Facebook and confront the alleged culprit in posts and messages and she had concerns for her safety. And I think they were quite legitimate concerns. All of her friends knew about this. Mm -hmm. So aware of this and fearful for Christina's welfare, an anxious Roshan drove from London to the flat in Crawley to look for his friend. He could see a glow from a computer screen in the flat, but no one answered the door, so he alerted the police. So, about 36 hours after Christina and Zaid had arrived at the flat together, the police broke down the door. Inside, they discovered Zaid, semi-conscious and pretty much naked, and a clearly dead Christina. Roshan said as soon as officers came back out of the flat to speak to him, he could just tell by the look on their faces that something tragic had happened. I mean, it's so good that he actually took the time to go there and stuff, like drove over there. Yeah, because, I mean, Crawley's not like a a massive distance from mm. like central London but it would be like a good hour yeah. or so and it would have to be like he is actually bothered and worried yeah. not just she hasn't shown up so I think it speaks volumes yeah. I think he was really concerned and like I say in the months prior to her death she'd mm-hmm. had this kind of stalking uh, issue and yeah. I think uh, yeah he was probably concerned that that woman had confronted her mm-hmm. and attacked her definitely We don't really know what happened in the intervening hours, but I'm going to try and fill in the gaps now as we take a look at Zaid's police interviews and his subsequent trial, where he was ultimately convicted of Christina's murder. After the police arrived on the scene, they arrested Zaid and questioned him for a number of days. You can see some of his police interviews on YouTube, so do check them out. Um, But I have to say they weren't particularly interesting, but they are worth a look, probably more from uh, kind of looking at Zaid's demeanour, not mm-hmm. necessarily what he says, because he doesn't say a lot, but... His body uh, language. Yeah, his body language mm-hmm. is kind of behaviour. Zaid maintained his innocence throughout his police interviews. In the footage I viewed, he appears quite calm and probably almost too calm um, for someone that's just kind of been through that. He is very well spoken and polite to the officers. When they tell him Christina received 13 blows to the back of the head, he responds by saying, I'm just shocked and I did not hit her. He admits that he discovered Christina's dead body sometime before police broke down the door, but when they ask him why he didn't call the police or an ambulance at that time, he says he didn't think it would achieve any good. He says, I could tell she was dead, so there was no point in calling an ambulance. When officers ask him what he did when he discovered Christina was dead, he responds by saying, I went into the living room, snorted four or five lines of cocaine and drank some vodka, and then passed out on the sofa. The officers tell him the only entrance to the flat, the front door, was double locked from the inside with a key and when they bashed their way in, he was the only person alive in the flat. He responds by saying he is trying to piece together the events of that night, but he just can't think and he repeatedly says, I don't know, to pretty much every question Mm -hmm. uh, that the officers put to him. When police ask him if he has violent tendencies, he says that he doesn't, but that it is not uncommon for him to have memory lapses. And oh, yeah, been, if you're doing like seven lines of coke and drinking And drinking vodka, loads. Yeah. And I think he was like a, a habitual cocaine user mm. and a, a heavy drinker. So I think I probably believe in there. He probably has had memory yeah. lapses. We've all read Girl on the Train. It's not, Happens a, to her. not an excuse though, is it? It's not. And I think I wanted to kind of say at this point, it really annoys me because I hate it when 
the suspect in a crime can't even be bothered to think of an excuse mm-hmm. or yeah. some kind of bullshit answer to what's happened and blame somebody else they just kind of feign memory loss Mm -hmm. and they think they're going to get away with with that yeah it's really interesting yeah however i did read a thing about the memories that you lose when you black out you will never get back okay so i was reading this article it was a while ago so i may get things wrong a little bit but basically the way that the brain stores memories um is because it believes it's important or it believes that it's something that's useful for whatever reason because nobody really understands memories anyway. But when you have had alcohol involved, it does actually affect the brain so much so that the memories you lose when you black out, you will never get back, which I thought was really interesting. I think it's because, like, I mean, obviously this is fictional, but going back to Girl on the Train, when I read that and then watched the film, I did kind of think, like, you know, she's had these blackouts, Mm. but surely... Some yeah. part of some of it, like her husband yeah. having a go at her or pushing her, no, would no. come back at some point. No. And this is the thing that with, makes sense. With memory. Then, yeah. like we used to have a friend who would, um, he'd go out and he'd be drink, and he just wouldn't remember from the point that the first drink touched his lips. So even though he would have been like not sober, but he was drinking and fine for most of the night. By the time he got to the point where he was so drunk that. He, he wouldn't then remember. He would then not remember from the very beginning of the night how mental That's so are. weird, isn't it? Memory so even when so he was bizarre. pretty much sober, he would subsequently not really remember that. The next day he remember remember that. Yeah. wouldn't even remember leaving the house. Could you imagine waking up in the morning and with that no kind idea. of like anxiety yeah. of what you've what done? What the fuck have I done? Yeah. yeah. So it is very interesting. I do wonder with him if he's just trying to think of an excuse. But equally, if his actual truth is that he doesn't remember, I don't think he ever will. No. And Which we'll will co- torture him now, won't it? Well, I guess so. I mean, we'll come on to it in a bit more detail, but there is no clear motive. So it mm. could be that that is genuine. I don't think so, but it could be. Yeah. Police put it to Zaid that Christina suffered a prolonged attack and would have died in agony. But once again, he is fairly calm and just sticks to his story. Mm. At one point, he even tells the officers that he is not some hyper high functioning psychopath who was trying to concoct a story a la Silence of the Lambs before adding, I'm just telling you what happened or what didn't happen. I can't tell you any more than that. It seems a bit weird that he would come out with something like that. It is a bit weird, That's, yeah. Yeah. And it, but his demeanour is so calm that maybe he maybe he did black out. I really don't think so. No. Um so Zaid's potentially bullshit story didn't fool the officers or the CPS and he was charged with Christina's murder and remanded in custody whilst he awaited his trial. The trial took place in December that year at Lou's Crown Court. Setting out his argument for the prosecution on the opening day of the trial, Christopher Tarani QC told the jury that Zaid Nassim murdered Christina Abbotts in a brutal, savage, unnecessary and pointless attack. He said following the attack, Zaid stayed in the flat with her body for 12 hours, during which time he snorted cocaine and drank vodka, which we know, uh, but we don't know this bit, whilst texting pornographic pictures and videos to another sex worker, Mm. which is really weird. He added that Zaid pretended to be unconscious when the police broke down the door, painting himself as a victim. He said of Christina, you will hear that she had an active social life. Unknown to many of her friends and family, she was a sex worker. In some quarters, she would be described as a high-class escort. Describing Zaid to the jury, Christopher Tarani QC said he was a regular cocaine user who drank a lot and frequented sex clubs, as well as orgies and swinging parties, including The Vault, Killing Kittens, Heaven Circle, Cake Party, which I thought sounded great, and Club Antichrist. 
Not so great. Cake party sounds delightful, but I'm a bit worried that if I turned up with a blancmange, they might kick me out. Uh, I'm kind of more worried what they'd do to the blancmange. Oh, yeah, this is true. I'll just eat cake on my own in my yeah, lounge. Yeah, just do that. Have your own little <laughs> cake party. Don't go to cake party. On Easter Sunday, I had six different puddings because Blimey. I didn't know which one I wanted, so I had a little bit of each one. Well, at least you only had a little bit. Yeah, no, it wasn't like six actual individual yeah. puddings. But yeah, I could I could get on board with a cake party. Yeah. Well, head over there. <laughs> um, so Christopher Tarani said Zaid had turned to escorts when his whirlwind romance with his partner had fizzled out, which was like he'd been with his partner for 12 years and he'd been using escorts for 10. So oh. he didn't really give that relationship no. very long, but he stayed with her and they had two kids. So the court heard Zaid was a successful banker, but may have been struggling with debts, as despite living in a £600,000 house in an affluent area of Buckinghamshire, he spent the majority of his income on funding this kind of secret double life. Defence lawyer Lewis Power QC said Zaid, in his prime, had achieved high status as a risk analyst. At the time of Christina's death, he said Zaid had been working as a freelance consultant for Toronto Dominion Bank's London office and had been earning around £250,000 a year. But he said his client has now fallen from grace in the most dramatic of manners. So he was like a super successful Mm. guy in the city. But then you'd need to be to be able to afford three and a half grand for someone's time one night. Yeah. Um, and, and you're not just going to do that once. No. Which he obviously wasn't. And, and like you said, and drugs and the alcohol. I mean, they yeah, they went to Asda to go get it, but they were buying Verve. It wasn't, mm. they didn't just buy like Asda's Prosecco own brand. or yeah. something. Yeah. So, um, of course he needed to be high up. Yeah. 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 So Zaid, who by now had managed to remember the events of the night in question, thanks in part to an expensive legal team, mm. now claimed in court that he had been acting in self-defence. So, I mean, I suppose what we don't know at this point is, did he really remember what happened? Yeah, or did they help or did they get the story? Yeah, did they kind of say, look, you can kind of go in with the whole memory loss mm-hmm. argument, but you would definitely get found guilty. Or you can say it was self-defence, even if actually you still don't remember it. Why don't you go with that? Yeah. I don't know. You think he'd go with the self-defence if it was true to begin with, but then, yeah, yeah. did he not? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think it just throw, throws more doubt on his defence. I think so, to change his story. Yeah. Wiping away tears with a handkerchief as he gave evidence, Saeed told the jury that he inflicted the injuries on Christina during a violent sex game. He said Christina had begun strangling him as she sat on top of him. He said strangulation was something she had suggested as fun after trying it with other clients before adding, while it was still in the silly stage, I didn't have a problem with it. At some stage, she did hold my neck and she didn't let go. I did try to push her off and all of a sudden I realised I was beginning to choke. I was being strangled to death. To add weight to his defence, Lewis Power QC told the jury that Christina had listed BDSM on her profile under the services that she offered. But I think that's a really kind of tenuous link because most escorts would probably have that uh, listed under the services that they offer, whether they're massively into it or Mm. not, because some clients are going to be and they don't want to, you know, limit their market. It's such a difficult one because... Um, you can't, it's not like she just worked in a shop and you could ask, well, all of her other customers, what did she say to you? You can't then go and find out what she would do with other people. No. Um, because if it's correct about the whole first meeting when she was degrading him, perhaps this was something that he agreed to. Yeah. It's a difficult one because part of me a little bit wants to start to believe him. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, A little bit of me is kind of like, do you know what? This guy just needed an escape and he perhaps was getting into something that he wasn't 
actually up for or into. And, and I don't know. You know, obviously he did kill Christina. We don't know whether he did that on purpose or kind of blacked out or what, but... I think 13 blows to the back yeah. of the head with a small but heavy weapon. That's quite close. That's not just chucking something no. once and giving her like a smack to the head that killed her. But we don't know why he did it. Mm. And I think that's interesting. If there was a really clear motive, then yeah, yeah you'd be definitely. like, yeah, definitely he's guilty. Um, but he is guilty because he got found guilty. Well, yeah, but, he is, yeah. yeah. Um, so under cross-examination, however, Zaid did concede that the Red Mister may have descended over him, but he maintained that he was doing everything possible to stop Christina from killing him. Did he say that at the time he was seeing Red? Do you know, I, I really wanted to say <laughs> I that. I thought you were going to put that in. I know, yeah. I, um, I wish he'd said that in court rather than the Red Mist. Yeah. But it's the same thing, isn't it? It is. So perfect case for us to cover. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor Christopher Tarani QC dismissed Zaid's testimony and he describing it as a pack of lies and he told him uh, that he'd relentlessly bludgeoned his victim during a savage attack. Paramedic Stuart Plumley, who assessed Saeed at the flat, was called as a witness for the prosecution. He told the jury, my belief was the patient was attempting to feign unconsciousness. Questioned by the defence on what basis he knew that to be true, he said Zaid's eyes were flickering and his eyelashes moved when touched. So it does sound like he was probably bullshitting that. In a victim impact statement read to the court, Christina's family said, Christina, our petite, happy and well-educated daughter, was the love of our lives. We will miss her coming home to visit us as she always managed to brighten up our lives. Always happy and positive. So at the end of his trial, Zaid was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment and told he must serve a minimum of 19 years. Judge Christina Lang said Zaid had presented himself to his victim as a well-spoken, educated, professional man who was looking for a good time, but under the surface, the truth was very different. Addressing Zaid directly in her sentencing remarks, she said, Your unsettled work situation was causing you considerable stress. I don't know what she's referring to there, but he obviously had some mm-hmm. stuff going on at work. She added, you seem to have become obsessed with escorts and you had a drugs and alcohol addiction that was becoming out of control. Your attack was of extraordinary ferocity. When I consider the extent of the injuries, you inflicted considerable pain. The terror of her final moments in life is unimaginable. As Saeed was escorted out of the court and into a prison van, Christina's father, Michael Abbott, had a momentary lapse in his composure that he'd kind of shown throughout the trial as he screamed at Saeed, you killed my fucking daughter, you bastard, you should be ashamed of yourself, you're scum, you're scum. I mean, fair play to the dad for keeping his composure all the way then, until that point, and actually he's had a guilty verdict now, so in the eyes of the law... This is true. Yeah. He's not saying stuff before he knows for definite. Exactly. And I think that's yeah, really, that's so I think that's true. Very honourable of him. Really honourable. And I completely understand him mm. wanting to, uh, you know, release yeah. that, that anger Definitely. in some way. After the trial, Judge Lang suggested Christina's line of work had put her at a greater risk of harm. She said she had chosen to earn her money in a business that is as old as time and one that has always carried with it huge risks of danger, as this case sadly demonstrated. But Detective Chief Inspector Emma Heater of the Sussex Police had a different view, saying, Christina should have been safe and no one was to blame but her killer. The only person responsible for Christina's death is Mr Nassim. And I thought that was great mm. to kind of hear that. And I think that was really unfair of the judge to kind of put some blame on Christina. It's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because you don't want to put any blame on her. But equally, if she was just working in her IT job and went home at the end of the night, she probably wouldn't have 
been in this situation. However, if he was going to do it anyway, it would have happened to... It's such, yeah. a, it's such a difficult one because the judge clearly did not mean to blame her at all. No, but it's just making a point. But yeah, yeah, it does come across that way a bit. And her her family did make a a statement that kind of goes on, which I'll cover in a moment. Mm. But it kind of talks a little bit about about what the judge said, really, in an indirect Mm. way. So in the family statement, they said it has not been mentioned, but we would like to clarify that Christina held many legitimate jobs in estate agency and events. Many jobs carry risks where you have to meet and deal with strangers. She is not here to defend herself in this case, and the way she has been portrayed does not reflect and define our Christina. Well, yeah, because as an estate agent, you're going to a house to Th- meet with somebody. That's it, exactly. Yeah, and that's a the point they're trying to Mr. get across. Mr. case. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. look at Susie Lampley. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and also Stephanie Slater. Yeah. Another estate agent. So I, I thought that was a great point that they mm-hmm, actually made. Definitely. So the family went on to say, what has been highlighted in this case does not change the fact that she was a loving, caring and loyal daughter, sister, niece and friend. Oh, I like Which that. is a nice yeah. ending for us, I mm, think. Definitely. So, really interesting case. As I said, mm. we covered something quite similar before on the Patreon episode with Carol Woff, um, a high-class escort working mm-hmm. in central London. That was a really interesting case because she had links to the Gaddafi family in Libya. Mm-hmm. She'd worked in the Middle East and then came back to London. Yeah. Didn't have any kind of job, but led basically a millionaire lifestyle of mm-hmm. the proceeds of uh, working as an escort. So um, if you want to check out that episode and other bonus episodes, then head over to our Patreon page. That was a good link there. Thank you. Yeah, just search for Seeing Red Patreon on Google or when you're Get on your the Patreon. Get your own lines. Oh, thought we were a team. But Sorry, we I'm only kidding. <laughs> um, so we hope you found this case interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different to what we've covered in season one and two as i said we covered it on patreon but um yeah it's a little bit different really from Mm. others that we've covered interesting not to have any true knowledge of what happened in the meantime Mm. in that 36 hours as well so it'd be very interesting to hear what our listeners think perhaps happened i think my feeling is is probably kind of what we talked about before that he perhaps wanted a little bit more that was that's such an intimate thing to go to asda and be kissing someone's head in the queue um and i just wonder if she was very much business as usual because that was her job and she was there to do a job and perhaps a bit of a, an argument broke out because yeah. of the fact that he wanted a bit more that's kind of my feeling and i don't want to feel sorry for him but a little bit of me does a little bit he's still yeah. despicable for killing her I just have a tiny bit of sympathy that this guy's life wasn't what he wanted. He stuck with his wife who had his children, but clearly that wasn't what he actually wanted. And he was looking for something else. He was going to escorts, he was taking drugs and he was drinking a lot. Perhaps that was an escape. And whereas actually with Christina, I feel like she just had a pretty decent life in that she chose to go do these things. She was making money. And I wonder if, um, yeah, I wonder if perhaps he saw it as a bit more, wanted a bit more. And she literally was like, no, this Mm. is my job. You've paid for me to be here or he didn't want to pay or something like that. So that's my kind of thoughts around Mm. it. What about you? What are your... I think, you know, whatever the motivation for him killing her, Mm -hmm. he he obviously did that. We Mm -hmm. know he killed her. But whatever the motivation, I think he, he literally did see Red and he just picked up the nearest thing uh to yeah. him and, and kind of went crazy and killed her that is a brutal I, murder it, that yeah, is a it small is, item i know but when you're like hitting someone in you know really mm. quickly that would have literally taken three seconds to hit her that many times but that is close quarters yeah that isn't 
it's not a normal thing Detached. to do, of course. Yeah. You know, we all have that time where we have red mist descend over us and, and you almost don't know what you're capable of. Do you remember mm-hmm. how to go at that woman once where she parked in our space? Oh my God, work? you were terrifying. It was hilarious. Yeah, and I mean, that's not like me. I'm a really nice guy and I just went just absolutely move mental. Your car. Just move your car. Um, at the top of my voice. Whereas um, anybody normally would talk to you, you'd be a little pussy and run away. Totally. Yeah, yeah absolute pussy boy. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so I think, you know, he just kind of flipped, Mm. um, but it was a brutal attack, you're absolutely right. And I think, yeah, that's all I can really think is that he perhaps wanted that relationship to be more Mm -hmm. of a normal relationship and she didn't want that. And obviously we feel for the victims in every case that we cover, but I really feel for Christina. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, had this not happened, I really like to think that she'd have got her life sorted you know in the yeah. end well, that she, she was going to celebrate her 29th birthday she had like I know, plans but I just, yeah I really, she I, had like friends i like stuff. to think that she'd have maybe like moved out of london back mm-hmm. to the family yeah up maybe. in the west midlands i don't know and mm-hmm. and led a bit more of a kind of chilled life yeah and kind of got off drugs and stuff i don't I, know i do wonder if anybody's thoughts are that he actually just is a psychopath and he was pretending and really good point i wouldn't i don't personally think that i think that he was using these escorts for 10 years maybe something would have happened a lot sooner however i wonder if that's anybody's thoughts of our listeners yeah get in touch and let us know Mm -hmm. i mean they did assess him psychologically Mm -hmm. and i think he was um diagnosed as having like a personality disorder and ocd but there was no psychopathy but then a lot of people have different things were yeah and it, it's quite common really yeah people, so, so i mm. yeah i don't know but yeah get in, t- get in touch with us with your views with your theories as ever yeah. you can contact us in all of the usual ways we are on facebook seeing red uk true crime podcast instagram red underscore podcast who knows who cares just search for seeing red the podcast yeah um and, and twitter as twitter, well yeah. which we're red podcast but again just search for seeing red the uk true crime podcast and you'll find us Yeah, give us a like, give us a follow. Yeah, come and chat. We like it. Uh, You can also get in touch with us via email, Mm -hmm. um, which quite a few of you have done recently. So thanks for those that have reached out. Hopefully we've um, responded to you all. We kind of manage that inbox between us, so we're not very uh, efficient with it. But um, we do try and respond to everyone. So get Mm -hmm. in touch with us. It's Seeing Red, the podcast. No, it's info at Seeing Red. Oh, fucking hell, I don't know. What is it, Bethan? Info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk. Yeah, info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk. It's definitely that. Okay. Right. Um, so on that note, <laughs> we will um, see you so next professional. time. See you soon, guys. Bye. Bye.